Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. We're in episode 205. 205 with Wanja. Hi, Wanja. Hi, Busy. I love that name, by the way. Oh, I thank love you. Busy Living Sober. Yes. Hi. So I have to give the credit to my brother who at, um, what, who's eight years younger than I am and he could never say Elizabeth. So he called me busy. And then that's how it stuck from when he was little, you know, thanks to my little brother, John, he could never pronounce my name. And then it all came into busy living sober. That's there awesome. So yeah, manifestation. Yes. So I know this. So you're from Kenya. I am. In fact, like my name it's pronounced Wanja, which in my tribe, it, the two different tribes that have that name. So in my tribe, it means the responsible one. You know, it's like, it's like owning, taking responsibility for everybody. So can you imagine like that much responsibility on a child, you know, because I'm the, I'm the oldest. Mm -hmm. The oldest girl. I'm the oldest girl in my family. So they give it to all the oldest girls. So my all my first cousins who are the oldest in their family, we're all Wanja. So it's not very unique where I come from, but it's very unique here and I love it. <laughs> but what pressure? That's the first thing I thought when you said that. I was like, wow, as a little as somebody young, that's just a lot. Yep. Yeah. And they remind you, they constantly remind you, you know, like uh, my grandmother who died when I was really young and, and, but I, but you know, what you're doing basically is carrying a legacy. So you're named after somebody in the family and you carry a legacy. So it's almost like your destination is predetermined, you know, um, it's, you know, it's just a culture. It is what it is. Today I can say that, but growing up, it was extremely confusing. Um, especially for child, you know, yeah. Child, child me still fights a little bit about that, but she's, I've put, she's at bay this morning. She's good this morning. <laughs> Tell me this, just because I have to keep going with this. Did, did you name your oldest daughter Wanja? No. Um, so I did not marry within my own culture. You know, my, my, um, my husband was, her dad um, was Caribbean, is Caribbean. We're divorced. Um, and so they didn't have that in their culture, but I did name my oldest child, uh, my nickname, you know, the nickname I had growing up, she has that as her middle name. And it, it means in my tribe, it means my daughter, you know, since the dad didn't have anything. Yeah. So my nickname, so growing up, my dad used to call, cause I was his first daughter. His only ended up being the only daughter. Um, they tried again, but had a, a brother five years younger, you know, you have a Josh, um, I have a Joshua, you know, so yeah, he's, he's, he's almost six years uh, younger than I am. And, um, and so my, my parents were trying for another girl. So I could always remind him that. Um, and so anyway, yeah, um, I grew up with a house full of, um, men, you know, boys and men, uh, and then my mother. And so I named my, my oldest daughter into my culture and named her my daughter is the nickname and yeah it's it's fun it's fun knowing your culture knowing where you come from you know i didn't have to go to ancestry.com i didn't have to go seeking where i came from so it's um that's actually helped a lot you know that's actually helped yeah. so tell us about your journey into recovery and what happened what it was like and what it's like now 
<laughs> you have all day. <laughs> I'll do my best. So um, I am so glad that, you know, for, for me, I have to literally like take a moment. I know that before this, we invited a, a part greater than ourselves into this, but I like to take a deep breath before I even start speaking so I don't speak out of context. So that's my way of checking the ego, right? Um, so what, where it came from? So my, I, I just described a little bit about my upbringing. I was raised by two educators. That's very, very key in my story. Um, and and I, it's so funny how everything comes together later. Like now I understand why, like my mother's, my mother's specialty was English. So in our household, she made sure we spoke proper English and she was very upset if you said a word that you didn't understand the meaning to, you know? So I, I got a very good vocabulary palette very young because of my mother. Um, and, but it also started a lot of perfectionism. And I am the third two older brothers, myself, and I had my first, you know, last place, like I was the last child, you know, getting all the attention for five solid years, right? And um, then my brother came around and that was my first feeling of out of place and my first feeling of jealousy. Uh, like all the attention was being taken away from me. I see these things now with awareness from like a bird's eye view because they did contribute later, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't express myself a lot growing up. Um, I was actually very quiet, shy, introverted. I'm still, I'm still an introvert with an extrovert calling. It's so weird, you know? Um, and so I love, I love regaining space by myself. So my first addiction was fantasy. Um, you know, it was stemmed from my parents had us reading a lot. And, um, and I used to just get into the story and become whatever it was that I was reading. And it gave me a really good escape, you know? Um, and I would, I would come up with these things in my head and I would want them to come true. So growing up, alcohol wasn't a big deal. I mean, I grew up in the African culture. It's no big deal. Like you could be five and go to the store and ask for liquor and they'll sell it to you. You know what I mean? You don't need an ID. Yeah. It's uh, your uncle can send you to the liquor store and it's okay. It's not a big deal. It, you can make it, you can buy it. Um, alcohol wasn't a big deal. What was a big deal was alcohol ism so people didn't discuss that you know like people didn't discuss that let's say you now i'm finding out that people who who died as a result directly or indirectly of alcoholism but they they made up another something else you know like mm -hmm. they died of this and they died of that but they didn't discuss the alcoholism part of it so um what it was was the same typical picture you see of people like an alcoholic was was not anything close to what I look like exteriorly when I, when I determine myself an alcoholic. So my predetermined, my, my prejudices growing up regarding alcohol were, um, it is going to ruin your life. It changes the way you feel. Um, my, my grandfather uh, was actually, he just passed away a couple of years ago at like almost a hundred and I don't know, 15. I, I don't know. That man was so old and so wise and still got, he had his thing going. Yeah. I was watching one of his videos and smiling a couple of days ago. He was just, he's a beautiful man. Um, very active until the very end. And one of his jobs was a, a beekeeper and you can make a lot of alcohol from, from bees. And my first drink, yeah, my, um, because of the sugar used the, the bees, um, the sugar, basically the, uh, what is it called? The, 
uh, what, I pollen. The pollen? Yes, and, and, and ferment, because the alcohol that you make is fermented, right? And, and the, that process would ferment it more, but it's sweet. So, you know, it sneaks up on you. Um, and I remember my first drink was sweet. Uh, it was with my father and my grandfather. It was a life lesson. You know, um, I've told this story several times and it never gets old because I remember exactly where I was sitting. And I remembered the, my only takeaway was exactly what they wanted me to take away, which was it makes you lose control. Like, I didn't like that feeling. <clears throat> I, had, I had had some uh, secret childhood trauma that had happened to me. I never shared with anybody. Um, I was shared with a soul. So when I took that drink, it made me feel as though I was losing control and I did not like it. So I vowed to myself with my very strong will, with my Ranja name, I'm responsible. I vowed to myself, I'm not going to drink alcohol. Um, and I didn't. I mean, I went through high school. I loved things like dancing without without feeling like I'm out of control. Like I actually love dancing. I didn't care how you judged me. I loved, I still love dancing today. Um, I still believe I can dance. You know, I believe I can sing and I can't hold a tune in the shower. I do. My children are like, please stop. And the worst is I like skip three or four, five, six, seven words. And I'll say the next word. And I think <laughs> singing. like, it's so, it's so bad. Um, um, my lyrics are off all the time. So you know, this, this girl growing up was so strong-willed. She, she lived a fantasy world. And ultimately, guess what? It ended up taking her to her dream job. First geographical move without a drink involved was to move to a totally different continent. Like I had made up my mind from a very young age that I was going to move to America. And I did everything in my power. You know, I graduated high school at 16 and I was begging my parents. I was pleading. I was you know, whatever mountain they gave me, I was going to climb over that mountain because my mind was made up that I was going to go to college in, the, in, in America. And so I started living off of these fantasies very young. Now, now I went from playing with dolls, making it up in my mind to actually it being real. And that was actually how I got my high. It wasn't from external. It was from achievement. You know, I was achieving these things that I dreamt I would do. And it gave me such a high. And uh, so I had promised myself I was going to be somebody and I was on a mission to be somebody with my two suitcases. Oh my gosh, I have so many coming to America stories. We'll have to talk about that later. Can you imagine? Like I literally left my, my home country um, thinking I'm going to America and I end up in a town in Gainesville, Florida, because I went to the University of Florida. And I'm like, there are more cows and goats here than there were in Africa, okay? Like the tallest building was a hospital. Um, it, and, and what's interesting was, you know, those days we didn't have as much Google, you know, I think it was the days of Yahoo or something, but you didn't, you didn't do a lot, whole lot of research. I was just excited that they accepted me when I applied. And um, anyway, I ended up there, still not drink was not part of it. In fact, uh, my alcoholic behavior was overachieving. So um, I went for my four-year degree and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do this quickly. So I took like 20 credits, 18 credits. I think the only semester I took 12 credits was my first semester. I didn't take summers off. I mean, I went for everything I did uh, busy alcoholically. Like I know what that means today. I didn't know what it meant before. Like I was always going, if I achieved something, I wanted more. I achieved something, I wanted more. I achieved something. And it was always had to be quick. It had to be instant. You know, that inst I call it my IG, instant gratifying behavior. You know, it's like people have Instagram. Wanja has instant gratification. It's like, 
And then I used to check it off, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah, I used to live off of a life of a checklist. Like, this is what happens in life. You go to school, you go to college. So of course, the next part of the checklist was I needed to get married. And and it was such a God's will, like, hallelujah, because I met the man I was going to marry like three days after I graduated college. And of course, it's like, check. You know, I didn't ask too many questions. You know, you don't look at the red flags at that point. Once again, very alcoholic, have no regrets. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Um, I got divorced last year and it's been a journey. It's been, um, it's been a journey of self-awareness, but crossing over. So what happened was um, I took those false beliefs that I had, those um, I thought I knew, I really thought I knew uh, what my life was supposed to look like, and it needed to be that you know the edu- uh, being raised by educators, you almost develop a lot of perfectionism, and um, and I remember there's a, there's one year my mother was my teacher, and that was like the worst because she wanted me to show the class like you can't get those grades, you're my child, you know, and um, and this is nothing against my mother, she uh, she and I have come a long way in, in being like she says. She listens to some of these talks I do because this is what I do now. Um, and she says, my gosh, I can't believe how honest you are. I'm like, I don't know what else to be, you know, but, but it's true. She remembers that shy. She still remembers the five-year-old me a lot. You know, that's what mothers do. And, um, and I remember when it was like, I, I don't know if you use pressure cookers to cook or your, or that volcano example where like you, if you use a pressure cooker, everything stores in and, and after it's done, you need to let it cool down first before you open it. I feel like my life just was all like, you know, cause I had all these expectations of myself. I got my career right after as well. So I had all these checklists, you know, I waited, I waited, I even waited to have children because it was part of the checklist. There's a certain age I needed to have children by. Um, you know, I needed that certain house. I needed that certain neighborhood. I needed that certain car. It's like, and, and I literally needed them. Like, it wasn't like, it was like, this is part of the checklist and I'm going by this checklist. And, and, um, and I think my children were about five or so. Um, my children are a year apart and uh, they too, something else I had, it had to be quick and instant. It's like one child and six weeks later, I was pregnant with my second child. When I look at my story, I'm like, who are you? Um, poor old me. I really sometimes smile at her and just tell her it's okay. Cause I mean, I was dead serious about how serious I was about life. And one day this perfectionism all coupled up that pressure cooker just, and, um, because I did drink what people would consider normally for so long, um, because I did not drink alcoholically, I could, I could take it or leave it. I didn't like the feeling, so I'd sip it. If you came to my house, I'd always had it in my house to entertain you. Um, but I didn't want to be like tipsy while I'm entertaining you. I, w- I wanted to have board games and I wanted to participate and I want to make sure you were okay. And um, I wasn't surrounded by alcoholics at all. Uh, and so for me, I was shocked when I don't, it happened very quickly. Um, I just wanted to escape. My first fantasy was back. And I started doing it, you know, but it was a reward. I worked really hard. Um, and why not have a drink on Friday? The problem was it went from Friday to Saturday because I couldn't do it Sunday because I had this big job on Monday. Um, so I started going it backwards. You know, I would do 
Saturday, I'll do, you know, oh, I can't do. So, I, okay, let me start on Thursday. It's the day before Friday. I started justifying. Um, and, and in my culture, uh, women typically do not drink. And so that was easy for me to justify the hiding. Um, I had a husband who had never seen that side of me. And uh, he married the girl who didn't drink. You know, I remember him trying to convince me to drink and I'm like, I don't need it. Um, you know, would have a, he and I would have a drink every once in a while, but it was definitely not alcoholic. And so when I found out I needed it, I would have that sip, that one glass in front of him. And then I would have the rest hidden in my closet. Um, it was a really sad way of living because externally, um, there was like, you would never have known. In fact, now that I'm out, I feel like I'm out of the closet. Now that this is what I do uh, for a living is helping people. Um, it's so amazing to me how many people are in my life then who, when I tell them now, they, 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 I can see their heads like spinning. But the truth is, they're right. I did not show you that side. It was such a secret and it was such a terrible way to live. I had and not, I remember when I would pray for a place where I can be myself in all areas of my life, but my behavior was not. Um, and I was not an everyday drinker. I was a binge drinker, so I could stop. I was able to stop many times. I was able to stop for long periods of time. But what it was for me is when I started and I decided to stop on a certain time, I wasn't able to. And I started seeing how I started justifying, you know, um, how that line is so fine though, because you know, I was a perfectionist. We, my husband and I were very, um, you know, I call him my husband just because at the time I'm describing, he wasn't my husband. It's so weird. Um, anyway, so my husband and I were very huge on making sure our children ate a certain way and they ate healthy. But when I was deep in my disease, I started seeing what they mean by selfish because I was okay telling my kids they can have cereal for dinner, you know, because I wanted to drink the way I wanted to drink when I wanted to drink. And, um, and I'm not that person today, so I can describe her however I want to describe her and not feel shame. And that is a journey. It's come, it's come, it's come a long way for me. Um, this disease is so stigmatized and stereotyped. And I, I'm not, I don't live there today. I, I don't, it, it's, it's real. You know, I used to think that when I was younger and I'd hear people describing stories and it was almost like, have you heard? Have you heard about? And it was almost like, it was terrible. Today I get, I'm going to own my story. You don't have to talk about behind my back. I'm going to tell you, you know, it was a terrible existence and it was very, they, they call it progressive. It, for me, it progressed very quickly. My um, career drinking was very short lived. Um, but when I look back, I thought it helped me like um, get something, but it actually took it didn't give me, it took away from me, but it was such a good liar that I actually believed it every single time. And every time I would believe this time will be different, this time will be different. And I would convince myself it would, and it wasn't, you know, I did the, I did the whole changing brands and I, I did the whole textbook thing. And ultimately the reason I call myself an alcoholic today is simple. Once I start, I cannot stop. Today I've come to understand that I have a physical allergy to it. 
I've also come to understand I'm innately created to have a mental obsessive mind. So I can obsess about just about anything. I have tools to do that help with that. But I was untreated. But the time I'm describing, um, at that was my untreated time. My untreated time was if I, if I decided I was going to make a certain thing for dinner. Uh, I'll never forget when I was new to my recovery and I was using a recipe book and I don't even like recipe books, but I was told, I was told the only thing you needed to change in recovery was everything. And I was trying this recipe, right? And, um, and the recipe had wine. And I promise you, I spent almost an hour like going to Google and does this mean I'm going to relapse? And then da, da, da. and I started obsessing about that recipe so much. And I'm like, does it mean, instead of, you know, I talked to a friend of mine and my friend said, flip is your hand working and she said flip to the next page and i flipped to the next page she goes does the recipe call for wine and i said no she goes make whatever that meal is i don't care what it is and and she helped me realize that i can take anything and just blow it up in my mind and when it was about alcohol when i decided i was going to drink nothing when i tell you nothing would stop me from it. When my mind was make up, made up, make up, was made up, I was done. There's not one single human being, no matter how much I love them, that would stop me. I couldn't even stop me, you know? And um, that obsession about the alcohol was too much, too much. So anyway, I'm getting closer to what it's like now, but I see that, I don't know why I feel like I need to invite you in. <laughs> You know what I love? I just feel like, cause I, there were so many things that you said that I want to bring to just to, to specify and just go back and retract to for one, the perfectionism, right? So you were perfect and checking off the list, right? So many of us think that, okay, we got the, we got, we got, I, I came to America. That was huge, right? Totally out of your comfort zone. Okay. I did that check. I went to school. I got it done really quick. Check. Like so many of us have those checklists in life that we think that I've got to accomplish this. We don't feel any of the feelings, right? And you talked about that too, which brought me to the explosion. Like you were like, and I remember when my kids were little and they would watch that show, Arthur. I don't know if you ever saw that show, Arthur. It was on PBS. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And he had this friend, Francine, and there was always this part. And I remember my kids were little and they'd be watching the show and Francine would get so bubbled up that her head would pop off red and then spin around and come back down. And yeah. so many women mm -hmm. go through that, right? Because we do all these checklists. And you also talked about how quick it was. That's another thing that women have, that we we have this vision that it has to be the alcoholic has to be the person that that our society displays that as. As someone that's on the street, they're a hobo, they're homeless, right? That's that's an alcoholic. It can't be someone that has two cars in the driveway, a husband that makes that has a nice living in a nice home. And I wanted to bring back because that's I love that you brought that up because that is so important for women to hear because we think, oh, I haven't gotten there yet, so mm. exactly. Well, that woman was me. That woman was me before I was ready. And I did. That's, I think that's why I take, I, innate, like, I have that part of my DNA now to help. Um, and I explain it in the simplest ways, knowing there's nothing I can do unless that person's ready. And that is so humbling, you know? Uh, but I was that person. So I get to, like, it's almost like I get to cuddle the old me and say, it's okay if you want ready. Um, it's such a, it's such a sneaky, it's very, very, very sneaky. And 
and it's so stereotyped and stigmatized that people don't talk about it so people don't understand it and i'm generalizing by saying people i'm gonna say i didn't understand it and and i'll be the first to tell you so that willpowered girl who was doing all these degrees because i actually did go back and i got my master's too when i when it came to alcoholism i tried so hard to intellectualize it so i was trying to like find what i found out later it was actually my disease trying to find a loophole and i remember there was this uh ted talk you know early in my recovery that said there are ways you can control it and and somebody sent it to me early in my recovery and i remember watching it for like five seconds and realizing here i am again trying to find a loophole and i knew it wasn't for me anymore and yet it still was calling me back and telling me you can control it differently this time this time will be different and you know how sneaky that is like convincing you just this one time, not tomorrow. And yet the flip side of it. So what it's like now for me is I have a very deep understanding of what this is. For me, I call it a disease. Since this audience is women, I like to call it PMS. <laughs> I understand PMS. And the PMS piece of it comes in, I have a physical allergy to it. It doesn't matter how long it has been since I picked it up. Once I pick it up, my body will react with the exact same way. And it will lie to me that, come on, you can have more. And then I have the mental obsession. You know, that's the end piece of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I have the mental obsess obsession. Now, today, my mind is not obsessing about alcohol and I obsess about other things. And I have tools that I use to help with that, you know. Um, and then the S is what kept me seeking that whole time was my spiritual malady so i was always i had a, a hole in my soul and i that hole in my soul was there when i was fantasizing at the age that the age i remember is about you know four or five years old and i would always be seeking to feel something and to feel with, with something and um i remember always seeking and i would never find it and when I found alcohol, I thought alcohol was it because alcohol would promise me these things, you know, you're going to escape, you know, you deserve it. You worked so hard. Um, and it did, it did at some point it did work a little bit, but it didn't, there's a time it stopped working, but I'd still keep looking for the time that it worked because it would tell me that we can go back there one day. And, and, um, so that today, what it's like today is, is flipping that PMS to the S being my most important part because I have learned I cannot do this journey alone. Mm -hmm. uh, so part of my story that I didn't share is I was raised in religion and uh, right. and you know there was no there wasn't a there wasn't an option like no matter where you were you went to church every Sunday you know you went to church on Sundays and I went to all girl boarding schools, Christian, Catholic. I'm not Catholic. I could memorize that Bible back and forth. I went to church every Sunday. I went to church and I made sure I looked good and I made sure my car was shiny. When I got married, I made my children and my husband go to church with that shiny car to a place, right? Mm -hmm. So I used to think that's what God was. I used to think that I needed to look a certain way, perfectionism again, and, and speak a certain way and think a certain way to be worthy of going to this building to be around people. What I didn't realize was I was limiting, you know? Mm -hmm. um, in fact, 
my biggest teachers, my biggest teaching God was actually my gift of desperation at the end of my drinking, my G-O-D, my gift of desperation. That actually became my biggest God because I've never wanted to forget what it felt like. And what's funny about my, my gift of desperation at the end of my drinking, it didn't have alcohol involved. It was an emotional roller coaster. When I knew I, wasn't, I couldn't drink anymore the way I wanted to, and yet I couldn't stop drinking. It's the, I don't want you, but yet I need you, mm -hmm. you know? And that was a very scary place for me because I was no longer that innocent go-getter. Mm. I had found the thing that I was trying to seek and I was, I, I, it was like, I was going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and it was dark and it was restless and I was anxious all the time. And alcohol would say, if you have a little bit of me, the anxiety will go away. But boy, was it a terrible, because I, I was a blackout. I'm not ashamed to say that. I was a closeted blackout drinker. You know how terrible that is? Like, yeah. it's a dark place, you know? Um, nobody knows what's going on. And then I'd call you for help at two o'clock in the morning. And then the next day you'd call me and go, you called me? And you know, I actually didn't have a record of calling you because I had such shame that I would erase it. So I was seeking in you, I was seeking in everything. But then I came into recovery and I was told that you can't keep me sober. I can't keep me sober. I needed to find something bigger than me that I could nurture a relationship with, mm. whatever I chose to call that. So I call that my spiritual wall. And, you know, I used to go to a spirit and I used to be under the influence of a spirit in alcohol. Now I'm under the influence of a spirit in my everyday. Like, like my spirit is the bomb, you know? And I meet women all the time and, and, and trust me, it doesn't mean that, that everything is roses and, and um, you know, I have fantasies now. No, I live in reality now. And my reality is real. Like I've gone through some things, but I have not had to pick up that first drink. You know, that physical allergy piece of it teaches me it's about the first drink. I used to think it was the fourth and the fifth. It's the first one. And you know what's so sad is how I used to, I'd gotten to a point where I would justify by lying denial and so it was like, like before my um annual physicals and you know i knew the doctor would ask me how much you drank i wouldn't drink for a while right or i would drink directly out of the bottle so that i can put on the form one it's sad but it's my truth yeah and and unless unless i'm able to honestly say that to me and you then i'm not going to recover and that's to me is where the missing pieces is that like gut-wrenching honesty. That's how I connect to my, my spirit now is, is I'm gut-wrenching honest and I'm real. And, um, and it's, it's, it's really, now the disease of more, which is, which is what I suffer from, can be a dis-ease of more in recovery. And so I have to find a way to bridge that gap, especially when you're raising children in the age of Google, when you know nothing you know, learning tools to be able to stay in this moment. I was listening to my meditation this morning and he was reminding me, just stay right here, right now. Because look at the world right now. It's so different. Like this, talk about a checklist. This wasn't part of my checklist to go through a global pandemic, <laughs> to be divorced, single mom, go through a global pandemic and, and, and be in the middle of starting a business all at the same time. You know, and today 
busy. I love the name of your of your uh, mission here. I am busy living so, but I'm not that kind of busy that I was before. I'm not the we gotta get it, we gotta, you know. I find moments of chill, like you know, they call it chill pill. I just call it. Let's just chill, man. No pills involved. Um, and I, I just, it's today. It's peaceful, and I never experienced peace before. I'd ne- I didn't even know what it felt like until I experienced it, and I didn't know how much I attracted drama and how much I needed to always have something that I was doing until I found peace. And I called one of my closest friends and I said, I don't know what's happening. She goes, why? And I said, I have like nothing going on in my life and I have everything going on at the same time. And she goes, you found peace. You found peace. Like, I don't have to do, I can be today. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, there's so much peace in learning to listen without having to feel like I need to speak all the time. Like that that uh, justification I would have spent with you trying to justify, I'm an alcoholic, I'm not really, no. Oh my gosh. And then the defensiveness. I used to get so defensive. I thought somebody had, um, somebody had kind of called me out on something, I'd get defensive, you know? Yeah. Um, because I really wanted to stay there. There was very comfortable for me because I knew there was something I could run to that gave me instant gratification, but it was a liar for me. Um, and here's the best and worst part. I'm not cured. I'm not just this moment. I'm not drinking. And that's all that matters. This moment adds up to the next moment. That's all well and good. You know, I don't own the amount of time. I haven't picked up any mind or mood altering substance for a little over five years now. And guess what? It doesn't matter. Because if I leave you right now and I go pick up something, all that's erased. So what I've come to learn is appreciate that all I'm doing in life right now is experience. So my God is the God of my experience. And I get to experience these things. Like who would have known I would have met you? If I didn't have this, I wouldn't have met you. I know. You know? Yeah. Thank you so much. Course. And I want to talk again. Tonight I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to a couple yes. things we talked about. Let's do it. And um, it's um, it's so when you talk to, I, I have to go back to like your. I I just picture your grandfather making this alcohol right, and drinking it, and no one ever talking about how alcoholism could come up. Right? Nobody said to you, oh, by the way, you could start drinking this, and later down in the line, you could have a bad relationship with it. No one ever says that, right? No one ever tells our kids that growing up. Now they might tell you, you could get diabetes or you could have high blood pressure if you eat too much meat, right? Like they might do those things, but it's never talked about, about alcohol, which I think is so important today. And I love that you talked about having one, you'd start off with the sip, right? And that phenomenon of craving that you talked about, which is so hard to describe to somebody because, you know, I've just been, we're we're doing this series, um, my husband and I on busy living sober, and we're going through, we we both, we use the 12 steps. So we're talking about step one and that powerlessness and that phenomenon of craving that we talk about. And when you talk about, you, you have that sip and you think, oh, I've had that sip. I've had the aha moment. And then you're like, give me more. Where is it? Get it for me. I need it. I need it. And it wasn't, and people would say, to me, I remember people going, well, it's the first drink that gets drunk. And I'm like, no, I can have 47 and I'll black out maybe 15 times along the way. But I, 
it's the 40s. It's the first sip. I love you talk about that. Just that first sip and the insanity of it, right? You talked about the drama, you know, I, I feel like yesterday, I don't know why I felt like describing it like a juggler, right? We're like juggling all these things. I got all this stuff. I got it. I got it. I got it. But nothing, I'm control of nothing. But we thought we were. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I used to, now I honor myself. Like, have you, I don't know. I'm not going to speak for you. But I sometimes can be on the phone in the grocery store and I'm trying to enter my pen. I can't even do that anymore. You know, even that, it's like, give me a second. Let me, let me finish checking out my groceries and I'll get back to you because I try and enter the pin and it's wrong. And with my bank, they're not very forgiving. I do it twice. They're like, dude, uh, you know, my card's gone. And, and then I have to go through the trouble of calling customer service. And it's a ripple effect. Everything has a ripple effect, right? And it's the same thing with, with recovery it has a ripple effect. And going back to my grandfather and my dad, they were, um, especially my father was such an educator. So that was his way of saying, this is, instead of telling me like alcohol is harmful, it was his way of saying, look, you lose control when you drink. And, but here's this, and I, and I put this on uh, one of my social medias uh, recently. I, was, I, I had um, a very dramatic way of talking about my bottom. And, and I called alcohol my lover when I described it. And, and I was talking about, you know, because I wanted the effect. I didn't say the word alcohol until I had it in parts. So part one, I didn't mention the word alcohol. I just talked about this thing that was my lover. And I described my relationship with alcohol like I would with a lover because it was my lover. It was my everything. I talked to it, you know? We had a conversation in my head because that's where my disease lies is in my head. It's all in my thoughts that I feed. And um, and I remember this, this, this part um, where my my father you know from my understanding he's he's gone now he's not in this world and um i want to make sure i honor his memory i don't have memories of my father drinking but what i hear is that he had a problem before and that got me in a lot of trouble because my dad one day apparently decided to stop and stopped and when it was time for me to do it i wasn't able to and i thought am i weak you know, what's really happening here? Um, but what I've come to understand about alcohol is that it is, I call it the cousin. So when I was describing this lover, I said, when I was growing up, they talked about the cousins, you know, I call them the cousins, you know, the, the drugs, like stay away from the drugs. But when it came to alcohol, it's almost like nobody really talked about it. And it, it's like, like, because it's so legal and so available, you know, and actually what's so funny is that's why I wasn't excited about alcohol because it was available. And, you know, I, I haven't made it to the cousins yet. And it's a yet because you're eligible to like anything. I have an addictive mind and I can get addicted to just about anything. You know, that's why when they created things like Netflix, I was like, it's for addicts. Like even Netflix gets mad at me. goes, are you still watching? You know, because I'll sit there, I'll prop myself there and I'll just, take one. And I reached a point where I don't even like TV. Like I, I do like to sit and watch 13 episodes. Like I don't want to sit there and watch an episode a week, <laughs> you know? So I still have, addictive, I still have addictive behavior. Um, but what I have to realize is that for me, that alcohol as legal as it is, is a very lethal drug. 
it you know the the stigma of drinking alcohol is not bad it's the alcoholism that's bad it's so weird to me it's like there's commercials you know there's no commercials for for a drug because they say it's illegal and yet alcohol is a drug now i'm not sitting here and i don't want to go like messing anybody's you know uh business that's not what i'm saying if if you have what i believe for me the predisposition of being an alcoholic i don't think everybody has it um, I had it and I had warning after warning after warning and yet I still picked it up because I was not able to say I can't do it. That's how I know I have a problem. I have friends who don't have that problem. We'll go to a restaurant, they'll order one and I still find it weird that they'll sip it and leave it like half of it at the table, you know, and I, I think it's gold. Like we don't leave that stuff on the table, you know, so what I've come to realize is it's not for me. It doesn't mean it's not for you. I don't get to tell you what to do with it or not do with it. But for me, being an alcoholic, it's dangerous and it is the first sip. Uh, and you are so right. People just don't talk about it as much. Um, but the truth is this message will only land on the, on the ears of the person who wants it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not the people who need it. It's the person who wants it. And that's the thing about it. it. Because my thinking was, what's on the other side of it? Because I felt like I was giving something up, right? And I had such an ego that I wanted you to tell me what was going to be on the other side of that. Like, okay, so I'll give this up. And what are you giving me on the other side? How much ego is that? You know? <laughs> um, but I have a really awesome relationship with my God that tells me, just trust me. You know, like, like it's okay. Um, I've received more than I ever expected from alcohol. I've received everything plus that alcohol promised me. And um, I used to think I'd be like boring. My gosh, I remember, I still, I still will ask you where my phone is or I'm holding my phone. So I still forget stuff. You know, I hear people say, you know, I, I remember what I did yesterday. I can't say I remember everything I did yesterday, um, but it's not induced by alcohol my forgetfulness my putting my keys in my freezer and looking for them all day and it, it's not alcohol induced today you know i know where my car is parked today I, I love that movie by the way dude where's my car i love that movie i don't know if you remember it um it's such a it was it was it lied to me you know and i was mad i grieved it like i would grieve anything else i was uh very 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 upset um, I had to write a letter because my, my journey started in a rehab center and I had to write a letter in rehab. And um, I read that letter often because I never want to forget my ID. You know, I told you about ID. My ID is my incomprehensible demoralization. Mm. I was, oh, it was, it was ugly. And the, the funny thing is, like I said, my bottom wasn't even alcohol induced. The emotions, those feelings that I had numb for so long all bubbled up and I had to face them. It was time to face them and I didn't know how. I did not know as an adult, uh, legally an adult, I don't know if I was emotionally an adult, but legally as an adult, um, as an adult, it was, it was very shameful for me, you know, but it, it wears off over time. Um, it's a journey, not a destination. It's a lifestyle, not a one and done, you know? Yeah. Anja, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. I love it. Thank you, you. You had so much information. I, I, I know we could talk for hours. Yes. Because I could sit here and listen to you for hours. You were wonderful. You're going to have to come back on. 
you're going to have to come back on in the spring and tell us what's going on because you didn't even get to tell us very much about your business. So you want to tell us really briefly what your business is that you're doing and what, what you have going on right now? Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll come back in the spring. Um, and so I have a brand. Actually, it's completely based on my journey of, uh, of alcoholism. And I was fortunate enough to be one of those who started recording. Um, when I say recording, I just started documenting my journey because I was really lost. And I came from that educational variety I discussed with you. And I wanted to kind of know what, what is happening here. And in that, you know, re, you know, putting down almost on a daily basis how I was feeling and what I was thinking um, and I was seeking, um, this, I mentioned that I was told that I was, you know, I came from the corporate world. I was in the corporate world for almost two decades. And um, my career ended before I, I came into recovery. And I remember trying to go back into a career and nothing was happening. You know, I was applying, I was getting the, oh my gosh, you, you have the best experience and then nothing. It was like crickets. So because I was seeking and because I was present, I actually ended up like following it's a, it's a weird gut feeling like turn left. Okay, wait for a second. Now turn right. So the way it led me was to um, get certified as a, as a coach, speaker, and, and trainer. And, and then I just sat on it because I was going through, you know, divorce and I was, I was trying to get, make sure my children who were then growing up, they were in, in middle school into high school at the time. I just wanted to make sure they were centered. So I actually took time to take a breath. And what, what was birthed out of that I, it ended up being the acronym is AIR, A-I-R, and that's exactly what it felt like. I came up for AIR, so it's called Actions in Recovery, and it is Wanja on AIR is my podcast. Um, I, I, I put out a couple episodes, and now it's taken a different a different turn. So there was this been a long pause, but you know we're about to start publishing again. Um, that's because that's only one part of the business. I also do a podcast for the community. Um, and so, you know, your guests can find me. They can put their email on uh, wanjaonair.com. You know, they, if they go on there, there's not much. It's just a place for, for me to collect emails and I can send them stuff as it happens. Um, and what I do is I help, you know, people who've experienced my story, you know, trauma, compulsive behavior, addiction, families, you know, because addiction and recovery for me is not about only substances. It's about your behavior. It's about your prejudices, especially the way the world is right now. If you, if you don't overcome your prejudice, because you are not your mother, you're not your father. You know, it's one thing when you went through victim. I talked about um, trauma in my childhood. I was a victim then. I didn't choose that. But if I choose to drag it to today, I'm volunteering. Right. So I'm teaching people how to overcome that and um, digital courses and Good stuff too. I don't want to just, I don't, I don't want to get too much into it. We'll talk about more of that in the spring. Gosh, I love this so much. And I look forward to being friends. You're, you're stuck with me now. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have a new friend and you're right down the street. You're right in Atlanta. It's right down the yes. street. Yes. So it has been so wonderful. I will put a link to your podcast and so people can get to it. And um, why don't you thank you so much for being on today. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. And thanks for reaching out to me. And for everybody that's been listening, you know, we all just want you to keep coming back and realizing that, you know, we will love you till you love yourself. If anybody has any questions or comments, you can always reach out to me at busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y 
at busylivingsober.com. And um, again, it's been a pleasure. Your story was awesome. I think a lot of people can relate to it because it really touched on a lot of things. And um, I hope you stay blessed and that you and your children stay healthy during this crazy time. And we didn't get to talk about the kid part, but we will at some point, I promise. Okay. Moms, and I love what you have behind you. Love is patient and love is kind. So people that are listening, you know that you can find me on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and um, no longer Facebook. I decided to take that down. I'm just, I don't like Facebook right now. I'm having a beef with Facebook, but everybody else, go on any of those other places to find us. And um, we love you all. And I'm going to send kisses to everybody out there and big hugs. And um, until next time, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye. Bye.